start singing in just a moment. If for any moment or any reason I start coughing in the middle of a song, I've been sitting in front of a campfire for two days. I have a little bit of that camp patina build up in my lungs. Try not to panic. The good news is we were burning cherry wood, so I smell like a really well-smoked ham, probably. Are we already streaming, Dave? Hello, folks at home. Um, if you would please stand. Take a moment to remember that God deserves our worship. No matter how tired we are, no matter what's going on in life, God deserves our worship. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, O oh my soul, worship your holy name, the sun. strength is failing the 
being draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore bless the lord of my soul oh my soul worship his holy Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Bless the Lord of oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. 
Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for the song in itself is not what you have required. search much deeper within through the way things appear I'm looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I know normally you start on the upbeat song and you end mellow we're doing this slightly different this morning. Once I get my guitar out of the key of Steve, we will. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would for the cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin, sin, lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Of the Lamb, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood. 
is for Jesus, your King. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily, his praises to sing. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Father God, I praise you that there is power in your blood to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Father God, I bless you for who you are. I thank you for who you made us to you. I pray that you would give me words to speak. I pray that you would be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is wonderful to be here this morning. I've spent, I, I did make a reference to it at the beginning of singing. I've actually been sleeping in a tent and sitting in front of a campfire for the past two days, and it's been fantastic. I have eaten too many nitrates. I've drank in more soda than any human being was ever intended to drink. I've enjoyed uh, seeing my kid have fun. It's been wonderful. I'm incredibly blessed. So last time I got to speak, I uh, started telling the story of man with God. And that is my hope to go on for uh, the foreseeable future. Because there will always be time. No, there won't. But there will always be something worth talking about from Scripture. But I think this will be a good place to start. Uh, I'm incredibly blessed to be a, a Christian school teacher, which means, uh, for the most part, I'm teaching church kids that know Scripture already or at least are familiar with it. Um, but there is this trend, and I would take it back to two things, the fact that we don't do devotions as a family in most homes. So if you're doing that, kudos. Um, that actually makes a huge difference in the lives of your children, a huge difference. Um, and the second thing is, we don't teach Sunday school class the way we used to. We have really neat curriculum most of the time, and honestly, the last few years, the curriculum curriculum we've been using is actually very good um, but I've noticed just in the last 20 30 years probably since I was a kid the way we teach Sunday school changed a lot uh, we used to have usually a gray-haired woman with a felt board and the characters and they would tell you the story about the road to Jericho and the Good Samaritan and they'd move the little felt pieces around 
and they taught you Bible stories. And it wasn't so much, um, now when you look at a, a Sunday school lesson in churches that bother to teach Sunday school and don't just send their kids to a different room to watch Veggie Tales, which I love, but it's not scripture. It's based on scripture and they're cute. It's entertainment. Um, but in the churches where they actually do teach Sunday school, they do this thing that's application and it's very good in ways where they're like, Timmy stole your lunch money. What does God want you to do? And it gives you three verses that tell you what God wants you to do. And that's great. But the kids that were raised in that generation of Sunday school class question basic Bible stories a lot of times. So you can say something or make a reference to Samson and they know who Samson is. Yeah, Samson was the good guy. No, <laughs> you didn't read that story clearly. Um, Samson is not a good guy. God used him mightily. If you read that story, Samson's not a good fellow. God used him a lot. God used him mightily. God is good. Samson was very imperfect, and we can learn from that example, too. But uh, we have this generations now where I think it's actually crossed a generation generational line. So what we have is uh, a, what would probably encompass a full generation, my generation, and then that one after me, that's getting more and more biblically illiterate, where we don't actually know what the overall narrative of the Bible is, and we don't know these little stories that make up the overall narrative. We have verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, I Oh, what was the, what's the other one? I have plans to prosper you. And we, we know these, the happy verses that fit on a bumper sticker and fit on our coffee mugs and remind us to have a good time because Jesus loves us, which is true. And I fought off the urge to order this coffee mug, but I did laugh when I saw it, and I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but it says, I can do all things through a verse out of context. Context is super important when you're dealing with scripture. But my goal uh, over the next year or so is I want us to read scripture. I want us to go through the stories, see how they fit together, see how God communicated with man from the beginning, and see how we fall into this overall narrative that is God with his people. It's a giant, uh, and I use this term in Sunday school, uh, giant brush strokes. There's not a lot of finite detail in this kind of study. There's some. But if we can see anything from Scripture, it's our need for God. Just this intense need to understand God, to know God, to love God. Because at our very best, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have... We have nothing apart from God that is worth having. So the first time I spoke from this, which if I was looking at a great way to start a pulpit ministry career, I've probably dropped the ball about four times already. Uh, because I preached one sermon, and then Rob preached two, and now I'm jumping into what would have been the next sermon. But we did Genesis 1 through 4, the first time I spoke talking about Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. So we're on to Genesis 5 through 9. 
Genesis 5 is a genealogy. And I hope you don't mind, we're not actually going to read through that together corporately, but it's a genealogy. But the one person in that genealogy I really want to point out is Enoch, who is different from Cain's Enoch, because he had a son named Enoch too. Uh, but Enoch um, didn't die. God took him because he was so righteous in the midst of all these people that were not, that God actually took him. He did not die. which I find completely fascinating. But he's identified in the genealogy is that he walked with God. That's like the entire description of him, is that he walked with God. In a system where all you had to understand is that God was God and you were not God, he was the guy that understood that. It goes on... Uh, in chapters 5 through 9, to reference the Nephilim. I wish you well. If you're hoping that I'm going to tell you what the Nephilim are, I am not. I could tell you a pet theory. I could give you a link to a YouTube video where someone breaks it down and may or may not be correct. I don't know. I know it's in the Bible. I know they're big. I know they're strong. They're described as being the half-children of the sons of God. Aside from that, I am not going to try to pretend I understand the origins of the Nephilim outside of what Scripture tells me. I don't know. It is the most liberating phrase I've ever learned in my life. Will everyone try it with me? I don't know. Some of you have never said that before. Try it out. I don't know. I don't know. Thankfully, my salvation is not based on my understanding of Nephilim. So I will continue. I just don't want to skip over it because most people, when they're preaching through Genesis, have a tendency to either obsess about the Nephilim come up with a pet theory and present it to you as truth or they don't mention it at all. I would like to directly just flat out admit I don't know. I have two theories I really love but I'm not going to burden you with them because I can't prove anything about them. Anyway, on to Noah. So this is from Genesis 6, 9 through 22. If you want the full story, start at the beginning of Genesis 6, and I highly recommend that you read that whole section because there's nothing quite like reading it for yourself. There's also nothing quite like hearing it out loud. So if you get that Bible app, if you have a phone or tablet, it will read to you in whatever translation you prefer. When you hear it out loud while you're reading along, you catch things that you never did before. If you have the time to do it, or you just want to annoy the person in the next room, turn it up real loud and read along. You will catch so many wonderful blessings that you never saw before. So this is Genesis 6, 9 through 22. Hello. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. He's described the same way Enoch was. 
Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupted, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. Its length of the ark will be 300 cubits, the breadth 50 cubits, the height 30 cubits. I know he's been disgraced, but there's a fantastic comedy routine by Bill Cosby where he is talking about the ark because it raises all the questions you would ask about that. But in case you don't know, a cubit is about this long, from your elbow to the tip of your finger, roughly 18 inches. However, my cubit and John's cubit might be totally different. My cubit and Maddie's cubit, I hope, is different. She's 10. Anyway. So what if Noah had really long arms? Is the Ark in Kentucky accurate? I don't know, but you should visit it. It's amazing. Um, anyway. Make a roof for the Ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the Ark on its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all, uh, yeah, all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort onto the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kind, of the creeping things of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you and keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve for food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all God commanded him. So, um, it, in this section of scripture, it also makes reference to the fact that it had not rained before. A man is building a large boat on dry ground because God told him to. How do you think his neighbors would react to this? Because that's what catches my imagination when I read this. Isn't necessarily the obedience of no, which is astounding. That is a lot of this story, really, that needs to be emphasized. But on top of that is, how would you react if you looked into your neighbor's yard and saw them building a giant ship? Complete, you might have the question saying, what's that? What are you doing? Knowing the character of Noah that we find out later, later in the story, are you drunk? 
all of those questions probably came up quite a bit over the hundred years or so that it took him to build the ark. Have any of you accidentally embarrassed yourself to your neighbors before? It's not pleasant. You know, that time the baseball accidentally went through their window, you had to have that awkward conversation. I'm sure everyone has at least one super awkward moment with the neighbors. That time you accidentally backed into their mailbox, whatever it is. You've got a boat, a big boat, the boat, a boat the size of a Walmart superstore that you are building on dry ground. People are going to talk. And as the, the scripture tells us, these aren't kind people. They're evil people that are violent. You're making yourself a target. Anyone that's ever been in middle school before knows you don't make yourself a target. <laughs> anyway, but that's what, I act what actually captures my imagination are the ideas of like, hey, no, what you doing? What? What's rain? I don't know. It's going to flood here. Okay. Okay, so something else that's mentioned, not in the scripture I read, but he was to take seven of every clean animal. The, the two animals is of every animal. The clean ones, he takes seven. So the whole world floods. We have a universal flood is the terminology I've seen for that, where the entire world floods. And it isn't like it flooded for a day and then it all dried up and everything was good. And if you read the account, it rained for, who knows? 40 days and 40 nights, it rains. Everything is covered up. How long does it take for the water to evaporate or to soak into the ground or whatever it is that much water does? It was a while. So after being on the boat for quite a bit, he releases a bird, it comes back with nothing. He eventually re releases a bird, it comes back with an olive branch in his mouth, and he knows there's land. So they, they get out of the boat once it's all dried up around them. I said that slightly wrong, please forgive me. Anyway, they get out of the ark, and the first thing Noah does is he builds an altar to the Lord because he had better. Something else we don't pay attention to in this story particularly. Sure, the world is violent and evil and wicked. Do you have any friends that you could describe that way? I do. Do you have relatives you could describe that way? You notice God didn't tell him to grab his cousins and put them on the ark? Go get that kid you used to play with when you were a kid. None of that. Not only is there a lot of time and sacrifice that goes into building an ark, but when you actually climb onto an ark, after being mocked, of course, forever, 
one of the things you have to realize is all these people that wouldn't listen to you, wouldn't take your warnings, all these people, they're going to die. That's not a small loss. So all of his daughter-in-laws, I'm sure they had parents. They're not on the ark. Following God doesn't always mean you get to keep everyone. Sometimes people will choose not to come with you. Do you not build the ark because people don't want to come with you? Do you delay closing the door and then ruin the entire experience anyway? Because people don't want to come in a timely fashion? These are just questions, things to think about. The more you read scripture, the more you realize that people are people, and they've always been people, and they will continue to be people. The people in Genesis are like the people now. We think we're so advanced. We're not. We're people, as they were people. I know how to check my email. If I had to build a computer from the ground up, I don't know. We'd go back to the Bronze Age pretty quick. Maybe. I'm not sure I have that smelting thing down either. Hmm. So Genesis 9. I am skipping around. Please go back and read through this account. Genesis 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living thing that is with you, the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So God immediately establishes a covenant once this is all done that says I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to flood the earth again. I'm not going to wipe out all flesh again. And he makes that covenant with us, but he also makes that covenant with every living thing. Which kind of reinforces, when we were given dominion over creation and every living thing, you're not supposed to abuse it. Just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're abusive. The way you treat your animals that are in your charge, the way you treat your land that is in your charge, is incredibly important. You are supposed to be a steward of all these things. You have dominion over it. That's actually 
a charge to do a good job. It doesn't mean to randomly kill without mercy all living things just because you're higher on the hierarchy, which seems to be kind of an interpretation some people walk away with. They're just animals. They're not important. It's not what God said. It's not what God said at all. I have friends that have taken that to the nth degree and are now vegan. I am not actually promoting that. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> we are in charge of animals, but we're supposed to be taking good care of them. And then moving on through Genesis 9. The sons of Noah who went out from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these people the whole world, or the whole earth, were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his nakedness, the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took their garment and laid it on their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke up from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. If you were in Sunday school uh, this morning, you, you already heard a bit about this, but it does not take long for the earth to become entirely sinful again. It takes about the same amount of time, apparently, it takes to grow grapes and let them ferment. But apparently there was wickedness in the heart of one of Noah's sons, even after seeing the whole world reset. Being spared by God's mercy in one of the most extreme ways that you could possibly imagine. And he still is wicked. Because people are people. And they've always been people. If we look into our own lives, we can see how we've been. And we've been probably redeemed from some of the worst circumstances that we don't talk about. And maybe the people around us don't know. If you are saved, you've been saved from something. Are we still wicked? Do we still have wickedness in our hearts? Do we have to actually make an effort to not choose the wickedness in our hearts? The more you get used to following God, the easier it becomes to choose God in situations. But even Jesus was tempted. I have been saved in miraculous ways from things. 
It wasn't a worldwide flood. But in ways, it was pretty close. Yet, every day, at some point, usually behind the wheel of a car, I will have to decide how I'm going to react to a, situ a situation, which will either be, am I going to react in a sinful manner, or am I going to react in a godly manner? People will be like, well, you don't always know. You actually always get a choice. You always get a choice. You can argue with that. If you're aware of a sin, if you're not aware it's a sin, then maybe you don't get a choice. But if you're aware that there's a sin involved, I would argue you always have a choice. Always. I always bring up speeding. It's the easiest sin, I think, in the world to commit. You're like, that's not a sin. Yes, it is. It's not a real sin. Yes, it is. What about the movies you watch? We haven't talked about that since I was a kid. That was a huge deal when I was a kid. What about the movies you watch? You're like, I can handle it. It's just fake. Sort of. Sort of. It shapes how you think. We can argue that it doesn't. It does. What about the songs you listen to? If you listen to the radio, they can bleep out the bad words. The songs are depraved. These are the songs that kids like to listen to. I know that because my kid likes to sing them. Why'd you turn the radio station, Dad? That song's horrible. Doesn't say any bad words. Doesn't have to. The worldview is something I don't want in your life ever. I don't want my daughter to accept that a man singing, lucky for you, that's what I like. That's why we're going to do these nice things, because you're lucky I like this. What kind of thing, what are you telling your daughter? What kind of egomaniacal garbage is that? And that is one example among thousands. Find a song on the radio that's worth listening to. Then do the same challenge for Christian radio. You'll find a lot more songs that are positive. How many of them actually make sense? Some of them are just Christianese phrases strung together with three chords. They don't even make sense anymore. It's still better than the alternative probably, but a lot of them don't even make sense. Are we going to be intentional about how we worship God? How we live? Is living worshiping God or does worshiping God stop when the guitar gets set down? Is all of this worship? You'd be like, you know how long it would take to watch all the videos your kid watches? I don't know. I'm not saying this because I do it well. Of all the things you're ever charged with, parenting your child is probably the most severe thing that God could ever trust you with. But you'll just set them down in front of a TV, look at a, a big rating system, and be like, eh, PG-13, you're 12, close enough. Look at the list of things that can be included in a PG-13 movie. 
They're allowed to say the F word once, and that is a big deal, apparently. Worse than all other things. But think about just the mass amount of content that is social norm that you can expose a child to without thinking twice about it and still feeling okay. Well, at least it's not rated R. They know what right and wrong is, do they? Anything you don't explicitly teach to a child, they pick up from the world around them. There's research that proves that. Anything you don't explicitly teach to your child, they pick up from the world around them. Anything you don't explicitly teach your child, they pick up from the world around them. The same research says if you hear something three times, you're more prone to remember it. People are people. They're going to do people things, but don't set them up for failure. You can do everything perfect with your children and still have them walk away, but at least they have somewhere to come back to. Sometimes you don't have to avoid something to explain it to your child. Well, what about this? Well, let's talk about this. These can be great teachable moments. I'm not saying you only have to listen to acapella psalms in the car. I'm just saying you have teachable moments everywhere you turn. Everything relates to your spirituality because at no point does my soul walk away from my flesh while I'm walking through life unless I actually died. <laughs> but I'm still a spiritual being. I'm in this misshapen bag of meat at the moment, but I'm still a spiritual being, and that doesn't stop. There's so many things that these Old Testament stories can teach us. But we've got to remember there's many layers to a biblical story. You can read them as a historical account. You can read them as a symbol of what's coming in Christ. Uh, you can read them mor moralistically, which is our very favorite, where you read the story and you're like, you use it exactly like a fable or Aesop's fables or Humpty Dumpty or the tortoise and the hare. See, listen to God and he'll save you. If that's your entire takeaway from Noah's Ark, there's worse things that could, be, that could happen, for sure. There's so much more to the story. Let's try to recognize the moral properties of our Bible stories, but don't stop there. All right. If you would, if you can do so without pain, if you could stand up, I will go ahead and pray. And then I didn't ask you ahead of time, but Chad, would you mind coming up and doing the announcement portion? Thank you. That's sign language, but thank you. Father God, I thank you that you looked at us and found something that you decided to redeem. Father God, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be in communion with you. For the opportunity to be called righteous, though we are not on our own accord. 
I thank you that you've promised to make your home within us if we follow you. Father God, I pray that anything that I said that was pet theology or didn't belong would be quickly forgotten and that the words that would resonate would be your words. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there any announcements that need to be made? On the four-year tables, you'll find a gift of gifts discernment slate of all the positions to fill in the church. If you would please pick one of those up out of out uh, on your way out of the service today, they're going to remain on the four-year tables for those that haven't felt comfortable to come back to church yet. If they want to participate in gifts discernment affirmation and have a voice in this pro pro process, please pick one up off the four-year table throughout the week, and then next week we will affirm the positions. Also, if you have nominations for elder that you would like to get into us, please do so. Uh, we're going to take a formal um, nomination time next week where we'll have the slips of paper, and you can write that down in person. If you're watching online and you have someone in mind that you feel should be an elder, an elder Please pray about it and let somebody know. Any other announcements? <clears throat> if not, we'll go to our sharing and prayer request praises. Uh, one of Darcy's little foster girls is having open heart surgery on Thursday. And uh, we need prayer that she won't get sick. I believe her sister has a cold right now, and it's really important she doesn't get sick. She's a tiny little peanut. She, she really needs the surgery.
anyone else. Okay, if there's no one else, Bob, you come forward. I'll go ahead and add one more. Um, I saw my grandma Cox this uh, weekend, which I hadn't seen her in a little while, but she went to the manor months ago, had to go to the manor when she fell, and actually got to come home in the middle of all the COVID, no visitors business, which is still going on. She actually got to come home. I saw her yesterday. She was driving her golf cart around the neighborhood, just freewheeling. So uh, I would really, I think it's important to praise God for that. Because not only, I know very few people that have gotten to come home from the nursing home, especially during a pandemic. And then to see her health actually improve more and more is an incredible blessing. I know I just made you do it, but if you can stand without pain, please do so. Father God, again, we thank you. We praise you for all the blessings in our lives, for the families that we have, for the examples we have. Father God, I thank you for Kristen's healing. I pray that you would help keep her patient during this process. I pray that you would continue to heal her. I thank you for the ways that you've already worked in her mother's life, Lord. I thank you for her hand's progress so far. I pray that you would continue to bless that situation. I pray that she would receive phys physical healing, Lord, that you would draw her close to you. Father God, I pray for Logan Swartz family, for the hurts that they're experiencing, for the loss they're experiencing. Father God, I pray that if there's a way we should be meeting their needs, that you would make it known to us and give us willing hearts to do something about it. Father, we thank you for the blessing that Logan was to the people that knew him. Pray that we would be able to remember the blessings of the people in our lives, even after they're gone, and that we can bless your name for the time that we had. Father, I pray for Faith and her surgery coming up. Pray that you give the doctors wisdom. I pray that you would give her physical strength. I pray for Keith and Darcy and the boys, that you would help to shepherd them to get them through their schedule and their lives as all of this is going on. Father God, I pray for Dave King on Tuesday when he gets his surgery and all the time after his surgery that you would help him to make the right moves so that he can experience healing quickly. That you would facilitate people to meet the needs that are gonna be left by the gap that he leaves 
when he's healing. I pray that you would give him a heart willing to accept help when he needs it. And I pray that you would bless him abundantly. I thank you for my grandmother's healing that she's experienced. I pray that you would draw her close to you. That you would be unmistakably present in her life. That you would demand her attention. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Millie's going to go ahead and lead us in some hymns from the Blue Book. But you would gather around the sanctuary. 